Good morning. So, so good to see all of you on this, uh, this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, just um, Vince and I, we just came back from a trip to Africa. And uh, I think he already said a little bit about it. But uh, man, it was a trip, huh? It really was a trip. Uh, what, I, what I felt was so amazing to see is like um, how God is moving in all these different countries of the world. You know, we were in Zimbabwe, and the uh, main location where we were was Bulawayo. And um, our, our sister church there, Celebration Church Zimbabwe, has, has 18 locations throughout the, the country. And um, just loved just seeing what God was doing there. I preached at um, the men's conference, and um, also Vince spoke, uh, was part of a panel discussion during the conference. And I spoke on Sunday in two services. But we also uh, went out to, the, to see the kids that, um, that, are, that are being supported by Celebration Church there. And uh, there's like, I think it's like 85,000 meals that they give out uh, to kids every single day, every single school day. Um, and we, uh, we, were, we saw, uh, you know, one of those feeding locations, which was a primary school in a place called Haumein, uh, which is a gold mine area, gold mine town, and they had a school there. And uh, we were part of the feeding. And if you want to see some pictures of that, just go and look at um, either Vince or mine, uh, my social media, like Facebook or, um, or Instagram. You'll see some of the pictures. It was really amazing just to see those kids and, and how, um, how our churches there are just um, impacting those lives. And, and not only just feeding them, but also bringing them to, to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was wonderful to see that. And then um, I spent one day in Africa. I had to leave uh, Vince behind in Zimbabwe. Everybody said, oh, right. And I uh, spent one day there in, in South Africa, and um, there's, a, there's a missions organizations there, organization there that reaches uh, kids and youth. It's called Reaching a Generation, and they have this wildlife uh, a park there, and they use the wildlife park to actually generate income to fund the, the, the missions program that they have in all these southern African countries there. And I was able to speak to, uh, to some of their um, leaders in all those nations and talk about uh, what God has been doing here at, at Thousand Hills and also in relationship with, with Celebration Church because they're, uh, they're wanting to start a Celebration Church in, um, in the city of Mokopane um, that, that was, that's very near that uh, wildlife park. And that's going to happen in January or February 2021. So there's another uh, church that, um, that is going to get started in that part of the world, which is just so exciting to be, to be able to, to pour into that. And um, so Mokopane. And then, of course, we have our churches here in Europe. We got Paris and, and Antwerp that just recently joined the family. And, of course, we got America and Tel Aviv, Israel. And it's just great to see that we're part of a, a, a global family that's actually making a difference in the lives of so many people around the world. And uh, so you're here in the Dutch local expression, but, you know, we got, you know, got some of those churches over there as well. And uh, if you ever have an opportunity to travel there and just to see what God's doing, I really want to encourage you to, to go and check it out because it will impact your life. I was like, you know, the day before we got, uh, the, the day I went back on the, to, to Holland, I almost wanted to call Ava. I said, hey, why don't you just, just get, grab the kids and, and, and get on the next plane to Johannesburg and, and we'll stay there. Don't worry, don't worry, guys. We're, we're going to stay here. So. But, man, it was amazing how this, is, this has really impacted our lives. And um, God really um, has a heart for the nations. That's what we're going to talk about, that God has a heart for the nations and that he wants to use you and me to actually make a difference in the life of, lives of somebody else. So we're starting our Christmas series today, and it's called, um, it's called More Than a Story. 
Uh, because when we think of the Christmas story, I don't know about you, but I get these fuzzy, warm feelings. How many of you get those fuzzy, warm feelings when you think of the Christmas story? Right? Now, be honest here, okay? We're all a little bit like that, right? We all, you know, just want to, you know, hear about Jesus and how he came to this world and everything. It's, it's a great story. It's just a great story. But the problem with, oftentimes, with the Christmas story is that when we think about it, it is almost like Jesus' life started at conception, or Jesus' life started uh, in the manger. Because, you know, we make such a big deal out of the manger. But when you look at Scripture, you actually see that Jesus uh, is the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus was already there before everything started. Because Jesus is God. He was already there. In fact, uh, there's this uh, Scripture, John 1, verse 1 and 3, says this, In the beginning was the Word. And in Greek it says the Logos. And the Logos is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's really what it says here. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was already there. His life didn't start at conception. He was already there before the worlds were framed. He is Yahweh, God, who took on human flesh. And for Yahweh to take on human flesh, he needed human parents, or at least one willing young girl that was willing to be the mother of Jesus. Because, you know, he, he needed a human mom, um, and, and she would be pregnant by the incorruptible seed of the Holy Spirit. So the man wasn't even involved in this whole, whole deal. So Mary was the young woman that was chosen for this special task. And, and her fiancé, Joseph, took on the role of human father for, for this child. Even though he had no role in the conception of Jesus. And as we start our More Than a Story series today, I just want to look at the character of Mary and Joseph and, and find out what we can learn from them as we, as we go through the pages, the earlier pages of, the, of some of the Gospels. You know, and I don't know about you, but when, when I look at, like, um, genealogies, because many of the Gospels, like two of the Gospels, they start with genealogies. It's like lists of names and names and names and names. I'm like, how many of you have ever skipped over genealogies in the Bible? Okay, confession time, all right? I, I did it too. So if I did it, you could do it too, right? <laughs> and sometimes when you look at these genealogies, it's like, it's just not interesting. I, I just don't recognize any of those names. But there's actually something, something really special about the genealogies that are presented for Jesus. And, you know, in fact, like in, in, in our world today, like in countries, like new countries, like America, you know, people are kind of become obsessed with their genealogy. Where did that come from? Like, which, which um, nationalities basically led to the birth of me, like, hundreds of years later? We kind of are interested in to, to see what our background is, right? And so, so that's also, like, one of the reasons maybe why these, these genealogies are, are presented here in the Bible, but... There, there is something more than just interest, human interest, why this is presented here. I really believe that the authors of those Gospels try to make a point, try to make a theological point, try to, try to telegraph something in, through the text to us that if we're not careful, if we skip over this, we will miss it. 
And there's just so much we can miss, you know, out on when we, when we don't really look at the text uh, the, way, the way we should. So there's genealogies here, in, mainly in, in, in Matthew and the, the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, our Western mind, actually, you know, we're, we don't understand these because sometimes they skip over generations. And we're like, no, no, no. If you, if you present a genealogy, it needs to have every single generation in there. That's how the, us Westerners think, right? That's not how, what, what the authors of those Gospels wanted to do here. There was a point they were trying to make as they presented these genealogies. Because with the ancestors that, that, they, that they, they do present, and we don't have time to get in this because this will take us a couple of hours, and, and I know you have lunch plans, right? So, so we'll just go really quickly into this. They tried to make a theological point, and, and the theological point that they're trying to make was that the Messiah, so Jesus, would reverse the sin and the chaos that the watchers brought into the world. Now you're wondering, who are the watchers? Well, pretty, pretty easy answer to that question. When you go to Genesis chapter 6, you see uh, that there's the, it speaks about the sons of God who came into the daughters of men, and they produced offspring, and uh, they were giants. They were referred to giants, and they're called the Nephilim, like when you go back to the, to the Greek here, uh, to the Hebrew here. So these, these watchers, they're actually those, those sons of God. They're like angels. They're, they're divine beings. They came and they, they basically started to, they um, violated the distinction between human and divine and just basically crossed those boundaries. And then these, these, these giants, they came into being in the world. And, you know, the, what happened when that, when, when, when that took place in history, those watchers, they not only crossed their boundaries in that way, they also gave knowledge to humans that humans were not supposed to have, like a hidden knowledge. And this is like knowledge that had to do with warfare, knowledge that had to do with all kinds of other things. And this led to a, like a world filled with immorality and violence and greed. When you look at, at, at like, he, um, like Jewish texts from the Second Temple period that was between the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, you see that many of those texts actually um, they, they don't only talk about the sin of Adam as the, as the cause of all sin in the world, but also the sin of those watchers, of those divine beings. That this is kind of like why the world is living in so much corruption as what we're experiencing today. And you see that in Holland. But, you know, when you go to Africa, you see like the greed that, that some of those rulers have and, and how poor the rest of the population is as a result of that. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost like demonic, when you, when you look at it, how the world is like perverted as a result of, of what happened in those early chapters in, in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 6, this is the story where, um, where those watchers came into the daughters of men and, and they produced these, these, these giants. God sends a flood. You know, we all know the story of Noah, right? Noah's ark. God sent a flood to basically do away with, um, with the humans, but also to do away with these, these um these, these giants, and just wipe it out of, of, from the earth. And it says in Genesis 6 verse, 5, uh, 6, verse 4, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. So God sends his flood just to wipe it out once and for all. 
And except for Noah and his family. He's like, well, I'm just going to take one man, one righteous man. I'll take him and his family, and I'll start over again. That was the plan that God had at that moment. But the sin and the, and the chaos and the rebellion just came back. You know, not long after that, when you flip a few pages in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 11, there's a similar story that happens again. It's the Tower of Babel. And like mankind, they're all in one place, whereas God had told them to, to spread out over the whole earth and make the whole earth like Eden, like the Garden of Eden. They all stayed in one place, built this tower, this temple tower. They wanted to bring God down in the place where they wanted him to be instead of, instead of going where God wanted them to go. So they wanted to have God on their terms. And, and as they're there, God says, like, no, we can't have this. We can't. This is a unity that's demonic, that is not supposed to be there this way. And he, he, um, he confuses their languages so that mankind is, 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 is forced to basically spread out over the whole earth. And then God says, I'm, I'm placing all these other people, all these nations of the world under, under divine beings, lesser divine beings, and I'm going to continue with one man with Abraham and his family. You see that in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham. He chooses Abraham's family. And he's like, this is the family that one day the Messiah will come forth from him. And the Messiah, he's going to be the one down the road who uh, will actually redeem all those other nations that have been estranged from me. He will redeem them back and bring them back into my family. That was the whole plan that God had you know, looking to the story of, of, of the Tower of Babel and, and, and with Jesus coming back to the earth. Jesus, the Messiah, was supposed to bring all the nations back to God, all the nations back to the Father. So that's what's going on here. And Matthew starts his account of the life of Jesus this way. He says this, Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's just a couple of names here in one verse. You're like, you know, what is, what is so special about this one verse? Well, there's a whole lot God is trying to say through this one verse. Just a few things, you know, it's, it, it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And, and Christ isn't Jesus' last, Jesus last name for, for, for you all to know. It's a title. And we'll talk more about it in just a moment. But Jesus, actually the Hebrew for Jesus, Yeshua. And Yeshua means Yahweh, so God, the God of Israel, saves. God saves. That's the meaning of the name Jesus, Yeshua. And then David, David is, you know, we all know him from the stories of, you know, David and Goliath. David was the second king of Israel. And, and this man, he... Um, you know, the New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart, which is a surprising thing to say about David because David made some, he messed up big time. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He did some other things that were not kosher. Yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. The New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart. Why? Because his, his, his heart went out to the Lord. He wanted to live a life that was loyal to him in spite of his mistakes. And just the name David there just shows to me how important it is for us to, to live lives of loyalty towards Jesus, to live lives of loyalty towards Yahweh, to, to make him number one in our lives in spite of our mistakes. And God can use us in spite of our mistakes. If he could use David, he can use us. 
Abraham. That was the man who continued, that God continued with, you know, after disinheriting all these other nations at Babel. Another important name in the history of the, Jew, of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. This is another place where a rebellion took place against, against God. And then he ends the genealogy with these words in Matthew 1.16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. He's called Christ. So Christ is a title, it's not a last name. And, and it's derived from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. You know, in the Old Testament, priests were anointed. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed for their task. They were set apart from the other people. They were anointed. Christos. And the Hebrew counterpart for that word was Mashiach, which also means, you know, that's where we get our word Messiah from. Mashiach means anointed, set apart. So, so Christ, Jesus was that one who was set apart. He was set apart as king. You know, the new king in the line of David here. And Luke 1.26, this is the other account of the birth of Jesus, but now from the, the perspective of a different uh, writer. And he says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So Gabriel here, he is a, he's a high-ranking guest. He's an he's a, he's a angel that appears to, to Mary right here. And Joseph, her fiancé, he's a descendant of David, King David. So he is of royal background. He is he's from the tribe of Judah. And Mary herself, she was a virgin. In other words, she was a young woman who had never slept with a, with a man. And the angel starts talking to her. He says his greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. How many of you want to hear those words when, when you're going through a rough time in your life that, that, that somebody says to you, the Lord is with you, or that an angel says to you, the Lord is with you? Right? We all want to hear those words. The Lord is with you. So the angel says that to her right here. And when I was preparing for this message, I immediately had to think of the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6. The Israelites are, are under the oppression of a nation called Midian, the Midianites. They were a horrendous oppressor. You know, they took all the, all the wealth, all the, all the food, all the, all the produce that the Israelites had. They would, you know, at the time of harvest, they would come into the country. They would strip everything away and take it back to their own country. There was nothing left for the Israelites. And in the middle of this, this, this dire situation, there's this man by the name of Gideon. And, and he's... He's threshing wheat. And you would do this on a threshing floor because what you need, you need, you need some wind to come and the wind will separate the, the chaff from the wheat. So you have one pile here with chaff. You can't eat that. You have one, cha one pile right here. That's the wheat, which you can use to bake, bake bread from, right? But he's not doing it at a, at a threshing floor. He's doing it in a wine press. Now, if you know anything about, you know, making wine and stuff, I assume many of you have vineyards and stuff, but if, if you had a vineyard, you'd know this. Like a wine press is something that's enclosed. There's not a whole lot of wind in a wine press. So it's a very hard work to actually separate the chaff from the wheat in a wine press. That's how scared this man Gideon was. He was so afraid of his enemy, of the Midianites, 
that, that he would thresh wheat in the winepress. And the angel appears to him. The angel of the Lord, Judges 6 says. Now when you actually look through the, the, the verses in, Genesis, uh, in, in, in Judges chapter 6, you'll find out that this angel of the Lord is actually God himself. It's actually Yahweh himself who appears to him. He starts talking with Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I can just totally see the, what's happening in that story is that Gideon is standing right here. There's this angel right in front of him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He must have looked over his shoulder, you know. I'm not that tough. I'm, a, I'm very afraid right now. So there must be somebody else standing behind me who's actually a tough guy. That is a mighty warrior. But no, there's nobody right there. God was actually speaking to, to Gideon himself. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I just love it how God, you know, he has this tendency to, to, to see us as people, as broken people, and he speaks potential in us. He doesn't, he doesn't call out our sins and our, our past and all our failures. No, he talks about the potential that he sees in you. How do you love that about God? He sees potential in you. He calls it out of you. And that's what he does with Gideon. That's what he does with, with Mary as well. I mean, Gideon wasn't a special guy. He was a scaredy crowd. Mary was just a teenage girl. I mean, she lived in this, this, this little backwards country in somewhere in, in the Roman Empire. It's nothing special, nothing important about her. Yet God speaks to her. The Lord is with you, O favored one. And I, I just think that if God says those type of things to Gideon, if God says those type of things to, to Mary, that he says those same things to us, that he speaks potential in, into your life, that he believes in you, that he has a plan for your life, he speaks into you. If God can use Gideon or Mary, he can certainly use you as well. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you're weak, if you feel weak, if you, if you feel like you're foolish sometimes, you're in good company because you're, you're next in line to be used by God. I really believe that. I don't know about you, but maybe in your workplace, people are, are saying, well, here you have Sebastian again. He's a Christian. He always talks about his Jesus. He's crazy. Well, don't worry. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Right? He can use you and me. I love God's word. Problem is that we're Almost always like Gideon. We come up with excuses why God can't use us. But I'm not ready for this. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. I don't have the money. I don't have this. I don't have that. Or you'll think something like, well, you know, if I do this, if I step out in faith, what will people think? What, what will my colleague think? What will my classmate think? I won't worry about it. If God wants to use you, he's going to use you in a powerful way. Anyway, the story continues in verse 29. It says this, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't know about you, but 
if, if I saw an angel right in front of me, I would be scared. I would be concerned. Because an angel, you know, of course the Renaissance art has made angels into these little chubby babies with wings, right? You've seen them at the Vatican. Or somewhere else. Or they're, they're, they're a little bigger than, you know, maybe in the, in the little video we watched before I started preaching. Got these cute little wings. That's, the Bible doesn't describe angels as having wings in the first place. When the Bible does speak about angels, they are huge. They're, they're huge spiritual beings. They, they impress us. So this, this angel stands in front of her and she's, she's afraid, she's concerned with it when it happens. And, and then the angel starts speaking to her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary found favor. God was pleased with her. Mary lived a life of loyalty to, to Yahweh. You know, God is not looking for perfect people. I said it before, but I want to repeat it to you right now. He's not looking for perfect people, people who have it all together. He's looking for people whose hearts go out to him, whose hearts are loyal to him. Believing loyalty is all that it takes. It's all what he's looking for. Humility is all that he's looking for. We don't have to look better than we truly are. But we give what we have. We give our whole lives to him. We surrender to him. Humility is what God is looking for. Luke 1 31 says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. When you hear these words, to us maybe, you know, you don't get the full power of what's in there. You kind of glance over it. But a Jewish girl, back 2,000 years ago, when she would have heard those words, she would have heard all sorts of allusions to Old Testament prophecy. Because she was a... You know, she was loyal to Yahweh. She was one who, who really wanted to get into the word of God. She understood the word of God. And she heard all these, these prophecies from the Old Testament in her ear when she heard the angels say this. One of the main prophecies would, would have been Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 says this. For, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The last verse, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You hear those words come back in, in Luke 1, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's like Mary heard Basically, in, in the words of the angel that had all these prophecies from the Old Testament, all these, these, these peaks into the future, my son is going to fulfill those words. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty powerful that's going on. This, this child wouldn't be only royal. He wouldn't only be, be a descendant of King David. He will be God himself. He will be Yahweh in the flesh God would come to this earth in human flesh, flesh and bones and skin and, and reign as the perfect Davidic king. Wonderful counselor, 
Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings will make his entry into the world. And he's chosen you, Mary, to be his mother. The King is coming. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will this be? I love how calm she stays here. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel confirms that this baby in Mary's belly is the son that Isaiah speaks about, the Son of God. This child will be holy, will be, will be set apart, will be different than any other child that was ever born in this world. And then the angel continues, he says this, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Her cousin, Elizabeth, will become the mother of, of John the Baptist. He will be the forerunner of Jesus. He will pave the way for Jesus to come and to, to do what he was supposed to do. But this um, Elizabeth, she'd been barren all her life. She wasn't able to get children. And, and this was miraculous, not, not at the same level as, as how Jesus was conceived. This was just with, you know, with her, her husband, Elizabeth, that she got this child. But this was a miracle because she was so old. And I love what the angel says, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. I don't know about you, how you came to church this morning. Maybe you're going through a rough time in your life. You're, you're struggling financially. You're struggling in your relationship. You're struggling with your health. Whatever it is, nothing is impossible with God. He's got a solution for your problem. In fact, even before you, you knew you had a problem, he already had a solution. Nothing is impossible with God. We got to live our lives with, with that perspective. Nothing is impossible with him. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I, I love that response from Mary. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary didn't come up with excuses like Gideon did. How about you? But, but too many times I've heard people that, that said like, well, the position of women isn't really good in the Bible. Well, actually, the Bible is pretty clear about women in the Bible. And, and those women are usually portrayed way better than the men are. Just read your Bible better. Right? <laughs> Power to the women. <laughs> so, so this is what's going on right here. <laughs> women just tend to be braver than men in the Bible. Don't know why, but it's the truth. So she said that, but she had a little problem right here. Because if she would become pregnant in a supernatural way, if she would become like, she would be carrying, you know, this baby around, Jesus, in her belly. What would her husband, what would, would her future husband think? I mean, 
I wouldn't have liked it that during my, my time with, you know, being engaged with my future wife that she suddenly just turns pregnant. Right? I don't think anybody wants that. Especially if we, you know, we try to stay pure and, and all that stuff. But here in the story, um, so, you know, imagine just coming to your future husband and say, well, um, you know, I got, a, I got something to tell you. You know, um, this angel uh, came to me and um, he told me that I would become pregnant. And that's why I'm pregnant. That's why you see my belly come. It kind of sounds like a, like a made-up story, right? Kind of sounds like that. So thank God that there was an angel, that the angel also appeared to, to Joseph. Because he was already ready to separate from her, to let her go in a, in a peaceful way so that, so that she wouldn't get stoned. And I don't mean it in a recreational sense. That, that she would be put away peacefully and that he could continue his life onwards. But then the angel appears to him and says, no, no, no don't worry. What is the, the baby that she's carrying around is actually from the Holy Spirit. It's from me. Don't worry. Just get married to her. That's what he did. This is what he does. And Joseph hereby becomes the, basically the father, the earthly father of Jesus. As a result, he accepts him as his, as his own son. He, they both take on the role of earth, the earthly parents of, of Jesus, of God in the flesh, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How amazing is it that, pe- that God uses people like you and me, people with their issues, people with their junk in their lives. I got some junk in my life. You know, it's, it's, it's with God. I want to move it out of the way. But we all, you know, we all have issues. But God chooses people like you and me to bring forth the most costly thing that he has, his only begotten son. And he entrusts his only begotten son to people like Mary and Joseph. That is trust on God's behalf. And this is what happens in the story right here. What a privilege. But we often come up with excuses. Like Gideon did. Reasons why God can't use us. Made too many mistakes. Made too many stupid choices in our lives so God can't use us. Feel insecure. Maybe we think the sin that we're wrestling with discredits us from, from being used by God. Maybe it's past failure that we're struggling with. Busyness. Maybe it's chasing after worldly things, our careers, our possessions, whatever. There's all these things that could be in the way of us following Jesus completely, doing what God tells us to do completely. But before Jesus, do nothing but excuses. And my question to you and me today is this. What will it take for you and me to say, just like Mary... Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What will it take for us to say that? It's a scary thing to say that. In fact, Mary, when she said that, she used the word dule, which means household servant. I'm the servant, the household servant of the Lord. You know what a household servant was? It was somebody who actually became part of the family that she, he or she served in. She was a household servant. And by calling ourselves a household servant, we basically cut ties with our other family. We become part of this family. We cut ties with another family. So when 
Mary said that. She said, hey, God, I'm in your family. I'm in your family. Whatever it takes, I'll do it. It sounds uncomfortable. I'll still say yes. That's what Mary did when she said that. There's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following him. You know, somehow in the Western world, I want to ask our keyboard player to come back up. Somehow in the Western world, we've basically came up with this idea that it's okay to make faith and religion just something you do during the week. You have this, 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 this list of things that you have to do and you just tick it off. I've went to church on a Sunday. I did my religious duty for the week. That is not faith the way the Bible describes it. Faith the way the Bible describes it is something that takes over your life. And I don't mean that we become religious fanatics. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But it's something that, that affects everything that we do. Everything that we say, everything that we are, we become doulas from the Lord. We become household servants from the Lord. From the Lord, we become part of His family. We're sons and daughters. But at the same time, we're servants, and God uses us in mighty ways. If God can use Mary, if He can use Joseph, if He can use Gideon, even Gideon. He can use you and me. What will it take for us to say, yes, Lord? Say, yes, God. I'm in. I'm in. Whatever, whatever the cost will be, I'll take up my cross. I'll pick up my cross daily and follow you. I won't hang on to my life the way I used to live it anymore. I'll just give it to you. i put it all on the altar. My gifts, my, my, my talents, my dreams, my vision, my passion, my... My career, everything, I just put it on the altar. And God set fire to it. I'm tired of living a mediocre Christian life. Because I don't believe that's the way God has called us to live our lives. If this word is true, that's not how we're supposed to live our lives. It's comfortable in our western cocoons and whatever. No, it's a faith that, that, that tells us to go out into the highways and byways and, and, and to compel other people who are far from God to come in to his family, to come in to God's fold, to bring them back to Jesus, to a living relationship with God. And I believe that God is raising us up as a church family. I believe he's raising Thousand Hills up in this coming season as, as Christmas is drawing near. And when people are more open to, to respond to the message of hope in Jesus than ever during any other time of the year. I believe he's calling you and me to pray, invite, and bring other people. To see their lives transformed for God's glory. Because if God can do it in Zimbabwe, if he can do it in South Africa, if he can do it in, in Israel, if he can do it in, even in Iran, he can do it here. But we got we to gotta, we gotta throw off, you know, our, our, our excuses, throw away our excuses. We got to break up the fallow ground, as the Bible says it. We got to start working 
And not, not, not working to get rest, but from a rest in Jesus, we start working. That's what we talked about last week, right? What Pastor Frank talked about last week. But God is calling you and I to be part of his mission. And he's waiting for you to answer in the same way as Mary did. Behold your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Maybe we could all stand in the presence of the Lord right now. Ben, you can come back up. Let's just pray. Jesus. Father, we just want to come to you, God, right now. We thank you for, for your presence in this place. We thank you that you're here, Jesus. We thank you that you dwell here in our midst. The King of kings and Lord of lords. You stand here in our middle, in the middle of us. Where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And God, I just pray, Lord, right now for every person in this room. God, maybe some of them have never made the decision to follow Jesus. I pray, God, that today they will make the decision to follow him in their hearts. To choose loyalty to Jesus. To choose loyalty to Yahweh. And God, the rest of us who've maybe been work, uh, walking with God for a longer time, but faith is just kind of like an extra thing that we do during our week. Father, I pray right now that, that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that that you would place a burning passion in our hearts to go after you with everything that is within us. God, we surrender to you, Lord, right now. God, we give our lives to you right now, Lord. Father, we place our lives on your altar, God, right now. God, it's not us anymore. God, you must increase, I must decrease. God, just breathe life in us, into us, Lord, right now. Here we are, Lord. Your, your servants. Let it be to me according to your word. God, we pick up our cross daily and we lay our lives down, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I just sense like God wants to do something really special, really powerful in our midst this morning. And, you know, um, it's awesome to see God move in our first service here and then in our housing service. I preach live there. and I just know that God is calling something out in your life. He's, he's, he's speaking into the potential that's in your life. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, you know, God can't use me. I've made too many mistakes. God is, God is speaking to you right now. He's calling out the potential that he's placed in you. He doesn't see you as you were. He doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you can be. He speaks potential into your life. And I know, God, you know that, that God can change our, our town, Hilverson, or Almere, or Ermelo, or, you know, wherever you guys are all from, Zeevolde, <laughs> other places. I know that with this group of people that's right here, he can change this world around. 
And he's not calling us to, to make this world a better place. He's calling us to be the better place in a broken world. You know, as the ecclesia, as a called out ones, as, the, as his church, we, he calls us out into, you know, all these places where there's so much darkness and pain and stuff. And he wants us to be light in, in those places. But he's looking for you to say yes to him. He's looking for you to say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. And this morning as we, as we continue to worship, he's calling you out. He's calling you out to, to, to actually take a step towards him. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, as James says. And as we worship, I believe that you know, these, these altars should be, will be filled in these coming few moments with people that are responding to the call of God on their lives. And it could be as basic as, yes, Lord, I'm available. I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite. I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring people to your house this Christmas season as they're open to it. But it, I think it even means much more than that, of us really, you know, surrendering our lives totally to him. So that's okay with you. We're just going to continue to worship. And I just want to ask you to come. And our prayer team and our deacons will be available to lay hands on you and believe with you for amazing things. That God is going to do some amazing things in you and through you during this Christmas season. And he's going to bless you. He's going to use you. He's going to give you the power, the words, everything that you need to be effective in his mission. And, and we're going to see changes take place. We're going to see his light break forth in the darkness around us. In Jesus' name. I believe that. So let's just come to the altars and, and see the Lord move in these coming few moments.